70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Владимир Гуценко, Луховицы, Россия. Я украинец, проживающий 30 лет в России. Впервые принял вашу Hello, my name is Vladimir Gudzenko, and I've been living in Russia for 35 years. I started listening to KBS World Radio in 1982. Back then, I couldn't get a response to my reception reports because it was impossible for the Soviet Union to exchange mail with certain countries. But after about 10 years, things changed and my letters were finally read on KBS World Radio's Russian service programs. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I got to know more about Korea and fell in love with the country. I hope to stay in touch via radio for many, many years to come. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Monday, the 2nd of January, and welcome to a new year with Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang President Yoon Sung-yeol pledged to turn the economy around in his New Year's address by focusing on exports. He also reiterated his commitment to labour, education and state pension reforms. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. North Korea began the year with another missile test and a promise to exponentially increase its nuclear arsenal. We look at the year ahead for the situation on the peninsula for our in-depth today. And then later, we look at some of the latest sporting headlines for our Monday Sports Roundup, including a preview of the World Baseball Classic. Let's begin Korea 24. To begin the year 2023, President Yoon Sung-yeol delivered a New Year's Day speech. During the live session on TV, he touched on a number of key topics. The focus this time was mainly on exports. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello. Happy New Year to you. It's good to be here with you again for 2023. Yes. Happy New Year to you too, Daniel. So the first speech by the South Korean leader placed emphasis on the economy mainly exports. He explained that there are plans to help exporters obtain financing and win overseas contracts, a much welcome news in this trying time for those adversely impacted by uh, global economic challenges. Yeah, that's something that's very much in need as a country would struggle to ride out an economic slowdown amid a global recession. Here's what some of the things he had to share with the rest of the people that were in attendance to hear his address. Since the fallout from the global downturn could slow our real economy, we have to monitor this grave economic situation closely. Exports are key to overcoming this complex crisis. They form the basis of our economy and create jobs. 
Yun pledged to help local companies receive 50 billion U.S. dollars in overseas orders and infrastructure construction, nuclear power plants, and the defense industry will emerge as new export engines. Also to help boost trade financing to 360 trillion won, that's an all-time high. These are some of the uh, efforts he plans to push through with for the rest of the year. The trade ministry announced a record trade deficit in 2022, its first in 14 years due to high energy costs, among other factors. The finance ministry cut its 2023 economic growth forecast to 1.6% from 25 a more grim outlook than figures by the Korea Development Institute or the Bank of Korea there. United in the past, nations that managed to identify and innovate new tech succeeded in turning crises into opportunities. His administration will help companies in their efforts to achieve success in their endeavors and, of course, to try and turn things around. World history has taught us that when crises and challenges engulf the global economy, those countries that identify new technologies and industries through innovation are the ones able to create quality jobs and achieve sustainable growth. We will provide all the support possible so our future generations, equipped with entrepreneurship, will be able to take on challenges in new technologies and industries and achieve the outcomes desired. And the president pledged to help usher in an era of startup Korea in the IT, biodefense and nuclear power industries as well as in the carbon neutrality and entertainment. He highlighted the need for reforms in labor, education and the national pension that the nation's future depends on these changes to come. He vowed to establish a rule of law in labor relations which will help drive economic growth, he believes. Meanwhile, in a meeting with top officials from across the executive, legislative and judicial branches to mark the new year, President Yun again stressed uh, these reforms must be carried out as ordered by the public, regardless of the challenges and obstacles standing in the way. That's right. Uh, President Yun reiterated his commitment to pushing ahead with three key reforms, labor, education and the national pension, as we mentioned earlier. He called for the prioritization of public livelihood issues, swiftly correcting factors that impede economic growth and development while accelerating normalization. He also highlighted the protection of law and principles, emphasizing we must never give in to resistance by those holding vested interests as that would threaten sustainable prosperity for all. He also pledged to solidify the foundation of liberty, solidarity, human rights, and the rule of law. He emphasized solidarity with the international community based on universal values that will help protect national interests and offer more economic opportunities as well. You can also reaffirm commitment to an economy led by the private sector and something that's centered on markets. He promised to, he promised active support in diplomacy, trade, as well as, of course, science and technology. Yes, clearly the UN administration plans to focus all its energy on those uh, three reforms and efforts to help uh, key business sectors. Uh, the president conspicuously did not talk about North Korea-related matters in his uh, New Year's address, uh, but he did touch upon it later. Uh, but before we get to that, let's take a look back at how the regime once again opened a new year with weapons tests. Well, Django, back-to-back provocations over the weekend is what North Korea did, and that's how they kept themselves busy with New Year's preparations. On Sunday, 2.50 a.m., North Korea fired a short-range ballistic missile. The JCS detected it was fired from the Yongsong area in Pyongyang, flying some 400 kilometers. And on Saturday, the North fired three SRBMs from the Chonghua County area toward the East Sea. The KCNA, the, the, the KCNA, the state media, confirmed the launches on Sunday, calling it super-large caliber artillery shells. 
Yes, the regime's leader reportedly said the rocket launcher put all of South Korea within striking distance and is capable of carrying a tactical nuclear warhead as well. Uh, what else did he cover during the latest key party meeting? Well, they reportedly vowed to increase production of nuclear warheads exponentially as South Korea has become the undoubted enemy. It's important to mass-produce tactical nuclear weapons and they must increase nuclear arsenal. That's according to the regime's leader. Their nuclear forces' first mission is reportedly to deter war and guard peace and stability. But, according to the regime, if it fails to deter its second mission, transitions from defensive measures to something more aggressive and offensive. So the remarks reflect intend to use nukes for attacks in case of armed conflict. According to state media, Kim Jong-un also presented the task of developing another ICBM system with a rapid nuclear counterattack capability, possibly referring to a solid fuel version. South Korea also had stern messages and warnings for the reclusive state uh, based on what President Yoon has ordered his uh, military commanders with regards to readiness posture against North Korea. Well, they want to maintain a thorough readiness posture against North Korea and punish provocations with a mindset to not avoid going to war. And that is very necessary in this time, according to the JCS and the Ministry of Defense, of course. According to presidential spokesperson Lee Jae-myung, Yoon issued the directive during a video link call with the JCS chair and other top commanders. As the security situation remains grave, the military should punish any enemy provocations with a firm determination, according to the president. It's, uh, it's also highlighted that mental readiness posture and practical training is necessary to guarantee strong security for South Korea. The president asked all troops to work toward becoming a strong military that's trusted by the Korean people. The Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Ministry of National Defence both issued warnings to the North as well. And the JCS has done this through action, setting up a division dedicated to countering North Korean threats. Can you tell us more about this? Well, Jango, first of all, the MND warned North Korea any attempt to use nuclear weapons would lead to the end of its regime. The ministry criticized Kim Jong-un's remarks as a provocative move that severely undermines peace and stability on the peninsula. It urged the North to immediately stop nuclear development and return to the path of denuclearization, that this is the only way to improve North Korean citizens' livelihoods. The ministry vowed to deter and respond to the North's nuclear and missile threats by dramatically reinforcing the three-axis defense system, which we'll explain later. A division to counter North Korea's nuclear and WMD threats is established. JCS chair was at the launching ceremony, ordering reinforcement of military deterrence and response. This new unit will lead the development of the three-pronged defense system that oversees integrated management of capabilities in cyber, space, and electromagnetic spectrum domains. It will form an important basis for related defense measures for South Korea against North Korean threats. Going back to issues related to the economy, there's a reason why President Yun placed much emphasis uh, on it, uh, especially trade matters. That's because we had a confirmation of record trade deficit to wrap up 2022, as you mentioned earlier. Yes, some uh, discouraging and uh, concerning numbers we've had as we wrap up the year. The first such discouraging figures in 14 years, mainly due to high energy prices, of course. The trade ministry's data shows all-time high in exports, 683.9 billion U.S. dollars. That's up 6.1% on year. But here's where it gets a little concerning. Imports jumped to $731.2 billion, an 18.9% surge there as well. A trade deficit of 47.2 billion dollars is what we have. The first trade deficit since 2008, more than double the previous record deficit of $20.6 billion, 
from way back in 1996. For December, exports decreased 9.5% on-year. Imports fell 2.4%, a deficit of $4.69 billion. Exports dipped for the third straight month since October. So these are some challenging numbers and situations for South Korea, especially because we are a very heavily uh, trade and export-oriented and reliant economy. Indeed. Before we wrap things up, we have important reminders uh, to those residing or set to live or work in Korea this year. Uh, some notable changes to be aware of for 2023. Yeah, we need to keep our eyes peeled uh, to be updated on the changes that we need to, uh, I suppose, adhere to. Changes in administrative and legal systems as the government seeks to balance relief for livelihoods with persistent inflation. Taxation laws on housing and income revised to reduce taxpayers' burdens. That includes comprehensive real estate holding tax in accordance with deregulatory policies. The minimum wage raised 5% on year to 9621 per hour, something that's important for those who are, of course, seeking uh, to uh, start work and for those who are running their own businesses that needs to balance their budget depending on how many people they need to hire to help with the, uh, the businesses and the work that's involved. Gasoline prices expected to go up by nearly 101 per liter following government's reduction in fuel tax cuts. Electricity fares for a four-person household would go up by a monthly average of four thousand one or $3.15. Basic taxi fare in Seoul, a 1,001 spike to 4,800 from February. Subway and bus fares also could increase by 301 in April. And from June, this is most important and most, uh, I suppose, would require the most amount of adjustments for Koreans. The international age system will apply across the board to avoid confusion with multiple systems, mainly the traditional system of which leads to arguments of how old were you, what <laughs> month were you born, etc. Sure. So everyone starts at zero at birth and a year older on birthdays. Sure, that's kicking in from June. Uh, that's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for all those updates. Thank you so much for having me. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. North Korea began the new year as it ended the last firing a short-range ballistic missile into the East Sea on Sunday. This came as the ruling Workers' Party wrapped up a six-day meeting to discuss policy goals for 2023, during which North Korean leader Kim Jong-un called for a quote-unquote exponential increase of the country's nuclear arsenal. In response, South Korea's President Yoon Sang-yeol ordered his military Uh, to punish further provocations with a, quote, mindset to not avoid going to war, end quote. This is where we start a special in-depth news analysis series this week, exploring what 2023 will bring across different sectors of the country. And to discuss what lies ahead for the situation on the Korean Peninsula today, we have joining us via video call Dr. Chegang, professor of the Asan, president of the Asan Institute for Policy Studies, Thank you for your time today, Dr. Chair, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to me. I'm very happy to be with you today. So let's start with those comments by Kim Jong-un. Uh, the North Korean leader vowed to increase the production of nuclear warheads exponentially in a key party meeting, which wrapped up on Sunday, on Saturday. excuse me. According to the uh, North's official Korean Central News Agency, on Sunday, he also said that South Korea has become the North's undoubted enemy 
and highlighted the importance of mass-producing tactical nuclear weapons. Dr Chair, what do you make of Kim's remarks and his push to produce more nuclear weapons? How significant was, were his comments? Actually, nothing new. North Korea, from the beginning of Kim Jong-un era, has been pursuing that policy to produce uh, the weapon grade, uh, the fissile material, as much as he can. So actually, reconfirmation of our belief that North Korea is not going to give up nuclear weapons. But that's a basic line. The second line, they like to have more nuclear weapons to pressure both the United States and South Korea to be accepted as a nuclear power state. Maybe by having a as much as nuclear fissile material they can claim they are de facto, actually they are de facto the nuclear power state. That means they can have more nuclear weapons in various types with different ranges. So actually from the mid of last year and all the way up to now, Kim Jong-un has been emphasizing the tactical nuclear weapon. Most of weapons will be directed toward South Korea. So they like to have more tactical nuclear weapons that requires more fissile material, weapon-grade fissile material. So, and then maybe at the end of the day, they want to have a kinds of a, a arms control talks with the United States. If they believe they have, let's say, I have 100 nuclear weapons or maybe 200 nuclear weapons, what are you going to do? We have to meet in somewhere in the middle to f- freeze the further production of fissile material and then go into the, this freeze mode, and then they, maybe that can be followed by some kinds of reduction. So actually, North Korea tried to create a kind of upper hand atmosphere or position vis-a-vis both the United States as well as South Korea. So actually, this reconfirmation of Kim Jong-un's behavior and direction to be accepted as a nuclear power state by the international community. Right, so even though they explicitly, openly said that they want to exponentially increase their uh, nuclear uh, stock of nuclear weapons, that doesn't really change anything because they had already been on that path, you're saying. Uh, Meanwhile, what do you make of Kim Jong-un naming South Korea, specifically our undoubted enemy? What's your take on uh, his identification of South Korea as an enemy? Actually, before I go into that question, so I'd like to say something, because actually Asana and Rand Corporation has conducted a study. By 2027, North Korea may have about more than 200 nuclear weapons. Actually, that was the expectation we had at that point of time. So Kim Jong-un's claim to produce more fissile material, we confirm our belief, our estimate. That's my first response about this mm. uh, This response to the President Yoon Suk-yeol's call for the dialogue, actually, or they, they, they call this Yoon Suk-yeol administration as undoubted enemy. Mm. Actually, that's been the case. The statement made by Kim Yo-jong confirmed that actually they have no interest in having any kinds of dialogue and that North Korea firmly believes South Korea is the kind of enemy. But it's quite different. The enemy which presents a threat, direct threat to North Korea. But actually, South Korea does not have any intent to be hostile toward North Korea if North Korea uh, come to the negotiation table and eager to give up nuclear weapons and open up its system to outside the world. South Korea is in a position to help North Korea become a normal state. But actually, the reason why Kim Jong-un calls South Korea as undoubted enemies is that the existence of free and affluent 
or prosperous South Korea is a direct political threat to Kim Jong-un regime itself. Mm. And also the military, unlike the previous administration, the, the Yoon Suk-yeol administration has been very firm in responding back to any kinds of provocation made by North Korea. So they might uh, uh, call that the, our response, our reaction to the, their own uh, provocation as an act of hostility. That does not make any sense at all. But actually, uh, but in the further down the road, that means North Korea has no interest in having any kind of dialogue with South Korea. And also South Korea is the one North Korea wants to eliminate on the Korean Peninsula. The actual reconfirmation, uh, my personal belief, North Korea's ultimate goal is the unification under the communist flag. On uh, President Yoon's firmness, which you mentioned, in response on Sunday, President Yoon uh, ordered military commanders to maintain a thorough readiness posture against North Korea and punish further provocations with a mindset to not avoid going to war. So in other words, do not let the fear of war hold them back, essentially. Uh, Yoon issued the directive in virtual talks with the Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman and other top commanders, and this is a reiteration of sorts to similar comments he made during uh, the end of last year as well. When he says uh, to punish further provocations, what kind of punishment could he be referring to? Uh, how can South Korea uh, punish uh, such provocations? But before answering your question, actually, the President Yoon Song-yeol and Yoon Song-yeol administration is pursuing the policy peace through strength. And also it is based on the belief that the, to avoid war, you should be ready to fight a war. So firm determination to fight a war actually is the best way to avoid war. And also clear message toward North Korea is the best way to prevent North Korea from taking any kinds of provocation. So let me go into that, what kinds of punishment. We have to think about two different, two aspects of punishment. One is proportionality. So actually, one to three proportion response to the North Korea provocation. If North Korea send, let's say, one UAV, we can send three, two to three UAV. On if there is a, a bomb shelling on our own territory, we can retaliate in the three uh, three times more we receive from North Korea. So the proportionality is there. Second, maybe in in proper in maybe same kinds of provocation. So if they send us a UAB, we can send our UAB. And also we have to think about the, uh, the presenting a, a very clear signal to North Korea by conducting our own military exercise. For example, he has been doing the same. Uh, for example, if there's a North Korea's uh, artillery live fire exercise, we did the same kinds of things in response if they fire the, the missile. So we actually state our own missile test. So proportionality and kinds, in kinds, kinds of things, punishment. And further down the road, we have to think about strengthening the, the, the economic sanctions based upon the, our UN resolutions. Uh, so we can enforce mm. sanctions. We can adopt more sanctions vis-a-vis -vis North Korean entity and personnel. So that's the only way. The other way around is like, for example, we can raise international uh, awareness of North Korea's provocation and strengthening the coalition among the like-minded countries and suppressing the, some countries like China and Russia on North Korean side to abide by international rules and norms and regulations uh, we actually share together.
Dr Chet, do you have any concerns about such comments or actions uh, leading to perhaps a, a dangerous escalation in the situation? Of course, there's a possibility of escalation. But actually, if you look at the North Korean behavior during after the uh, Korean War, if we were firm, North Korea tends to back down. If we show some weakness, North Korea tends to exploit their weakness and lack of resolve. So I think maybe if we are eager to send a very strong signal, I think the North Korea at the end of the day will back down. So of course, there's always a danger of escalation, but that's a fact of life. But actually, to avoid escalation, we have to have kinds mm-hmm. of what I call full spectrum of dominance, well, uh, high level of military preparedness, and also the coalition and cooperation among the like-minded countries will help to control the situation on the ground, even though there is a provocation or exchange of fires or mm-hmm. tests, some, uh, some armed conflict. Of course, we cannot totally rule out the possibility, but actually firmness and resolve actually will lead to the, actually the, the, the resolution of the situation. Uh, looking ahead to the rest of this year then, what's your outlook with regard to uh, North Korea's provocations? We've already seen one uh, short-range ballistic missile test and the regime uh, launched uh, more missiles in 2022 uh, than any year before, at one point launching uh, 23 missiles in a single day. Do you expect right. this uh, high volume of uh, missile tests to continue uh, this year and possibly seeing other provocations? I think this maybe they will go the next level of missile test. See, maybe the medium range, possibly the ICBM intercontinental ballistic missile. So that's the case we can think of. Uh, but actually, on the other end, we have to think about more conventional provocation North Korea can stage vis-a-vis South Korea. So, for example, violation of Northern Limit Line, uh, and also some kinds of armed clash, or maybe the live fire shooting across the NLL or there could be a kinds of provocation along the military demarcation line. For example, we clearly uh, remember what happened in 2015, the landmine incident. That kinds of provocation can create some kinds of fear among the South Koreans. That was one of the best way to create some kinds of split within South Korean society over the North Korea policy. So they will try to cre- create more, uh, more direct threat to South Korea in a conventional way as well as in a more asymmetrical way. What about the long-mooted seventh nuclear test? The the spectre of a seventh nuclear test loomed large through most of 2022, but it never came in the end. Why do you think uh, Kim did not carry out such a test? And do you think it could be coming this year? I think there's a high probability North Korea will stage the seventh nuclear test last year because uh, the, the Xi Jinping was actually wanted to start his third term, so he, doesn't want, he did not want any, any kinds of uh, uh, crisis uh, around the, this China's periphery. That it was regarded as one of the reasons why North Korea was refraining from staging nuclear tests. Mm. But this year, North Korea is free from that kind of political burden. That's the first thing. Second, maybe because there could be some kind of technical problem North Korea has not overcome yet. Because most uh, experts expect the seventh nuclear test is going to be a test of low-yield, more tactical nuclear 
explosive test rather than the, the huge one. So maybe we have not seen the, the tactical nuclear warhead yet. Mm. So they are working on it. If that's the case, I expect maybe the Cephas nuclear test could be around maybe the middle of this year. Uh, after the, 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 yes. Some analysts have also said that uh, the greatest fear is not another underground nuclear test, but an atmospheric a nuclear test of a y- low yield that will uh, unequivocally prove their nuclear weapons capabilities. What do you think are the chances of such a test, of detonating a test uh, warhead in the I, Pacific? I don't think so, because actually we have been uh, carefully monitoring the this, uh, Pungeri, the nuclear test site. They have been preparing the actual reconstructed the uh, underground tunnel for the, the, the next nuclear test. I don't think they have any uh, uh, the, the means to do the, the atmosphere test in the Pacific uh, Ocean. No, because actually, unless they does it uh, through the ballistic missile, I don't think that's the way North Korea can stage a nuclear test. Maybe I'm expecting the Pungeri is going to be the site they are going to stage a nuclear, the seventh nuclear test. Maybe either number three or number uh, two, the tunnel. Mm, okay. And what do you think then could the United States and South Korea and other parties do to try to prevent North Korea from carrying out provocations, including a nuclear test? What cards do they hold? And also, do you think there's any chance that the involved parties could come back to the negotiating table this year? That's quite a tough question, actually. Actually, coalition among the like-minded countries, Korea, US and Japan, plus maybe we can ask China and Russia to be on our side in persuading North Korea not to state a nuclear test coming back to the ne- uh, negotiation. But actually to make it that happen, we need to uh, maintain a high level of military preparedness and show the, our resolve and capability to carry out what we say in public. And also maybe we can uh, continuously upgrade uh, extend deterrence of the United States vis-a-vis South Korea. So we can think of a more uh, pre-warning toward North Korea, this is going to happen, what you state, nuclear test. That kind of clear warning should be, uh, could be very effective in preventing. Of course, North Korea can stage uh, the seventh nuclear test this year, but actually to prevent such things from happening, we need to show our resolve and capability to North Korea. This is going to, you see, what you state, a nuclear test, what could be consequences North Korea will get after having a nuclear test. Well, it seems a a nervy year awaits in regards to the situation with uh, North Korea. Uh, That is, we're going to leave it for today for our discussion. Uh, We've been speaking to Dr. Che Gang, president of the Asan Institute for Policy Studies. Dr. Che, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 10.73 points, or 0.48% on Monday, closing the first trading day of the year at 2,225.67. The Tekabi Kosdaq also fell, losing 7.78 points, or 1.15%, to close the day at 671.51. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 8.11 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,272.61. 
You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment, rounding up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online in Korea today. And for that, our contributor Diane Yu joins us in the studio now to kick off the new year for us on Career Trending. Diane, hello and Happy New Year. Hello, Jango. Happy New Year. Yes, it's great to see you. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? First, we'll find out where South Korea placed on the 2022 World's Most Powerful Countries list. We'll also discover why a photo released by the police of the man accused of murdering two people in Paju, Gyeonggi province has caused controversy. Finally, we'll learn which two top celebrities have confirmed that they are dating. Okay, let's start with that first story and an interesting list that has been published. Can you tell us more? Mm -hmm. South Korea was ranked the planet's sixth most powerful country in 2022, up two notches from 2021. U.S. News and World Report released the rankings on Sunday as part of its annual Best Countries study, which assesses 85 nations based on responses from 17,000 people in 10 categories. They include power, cultural influence, social purpose, quality of life, and heritage. In overall rankings, which comprise the 10 categories, South Korea came in 20th place. Okay, so what is the report's definition of a powerful country? Well, according to the company's website, the world's most powerful countries also are the ones that consistently dominate news headlines, preoccupy policymakers, and shape global economic patterns. It also mentions that such countries' foreign policies and military budgets are tracked religiously. I see. So what were the reasons given for South Korea ranking sixth this year? There were numerous reasons given, such as the country's high-tech, service-based economy being a success story, and Korea becoming an OECD Development Assistance Committee funds donor, despite being the first recipient of the funds. It also noted that since the 1960s, South Korea has steadily grown to become one of the world's largest economies. Yes, it has uh, increased its influence over the years, of course, in uh, the economy, mm-hmm. uh, geopolitics and culture as well, of course. Right. Uh, which country was found to be the most powerful on the planet? That would be the United States, which mm. was described in the ranking as the world's most dominant economic and military power. U.S. News and World Report said the U.S. cultural imprint spans the world, led in large part by its popular culture expressed in music, movies and television. However, it was quick to add that despite being the foremost global power, the U.S. still faces domestic challenges, including racial tensions, income inequality and an increasingly polarized electorate. Meanwhile, China came second in the most powerful country's ranking, followed by Russia, Germany and the United Kingdom. South Korea finished above France, Japan, the United Arab Emirates, and Israel. Wow, so above Japan as well. It's a remarkable rise considering where Korea came from mm-hmm. post-war. Right. Uh, before, but before that as well, it's come a long way uh, since the days of the hermit kingdom. Right. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Last week, we talked on the show about a 31-year-old man accused of murdering a taxi driver as well as an ex-girlfriend. Well, our next story is about a controversy surrounding the photo to police release of the suspect, Lee Ki-young. Last Thursday, the Gyeonggi Bukbu Provincial Police Agency decided to disclose E's personal information, including his photo as well as age, in consideration of the brutality of the crime, the possibility of a repeat crime, and the public's right to know. 
However, the photo drew a lot of criticism because it doesn't look anything like Yi's current appearance. Right, so the controversial photo, I'm guessing it was taken a while back then. Right, the police re- revealed Yi's driver's license photo. The police said they sought to reveal a recent photo- picture, but ended up disclosing the said image because the suspect refused to, taking, uh, to take a mugshot. The Seoul-based media outlet quoted a utility inspector who regularly visited Yi's house as saying that he does not look like the man in the photo released by the police, saying it appears it was taken when E was very young. According to the Special Violent Crimes Act, a suspect cannot be forced to take a mugshot as part of efforts to protect their human rights. This is not the first time the nation has uh, witnessed a controversy over a murder suspect's photo, right? Right, that's correct. Criticism emerged when police revealed the photo of Chen Juhan, who is accused of killing his former female colleague last September. Many were shocked when they saw images of Chen's face taken when police handed him over to the prosecution because he did not look like the photo that the police had previously released. Attention is being drawn to whether the public will be able to get a glimpse of Yi's actual face when he is handed over to the prosecution later this week. He will be prohibited from wearing a mask. However, there are no legal grounds to stop him from covering his face uh, with his hands or a hat when he appears before the press. Yes, and a lot of press will be there of course. Uh, Another reason why this is important is that there remain concerns that E might have been involved in other cases. Mm -hmm. So getting his image out there so that people can potentially help authorities uh, with any information they can uh, could be important. Uh, We'll see if a more up-to-date image is provided by the authorities or whether the press will be able to get a shot of him soon as well. Let's uh, move on to our final story for today. What do you have for us? Actor Lee Jong-seok and singer IU are dating. Both <laughs> celebrities admitted that they are seeing each other in their respective online fan communities on the first day of the new year on Sunday. What we know is that they have been in a relationship for four months and they first met when they co-hosted a music program back in 2012. Yes, uh, this story has been one of the most uh, hottest entertainment stories over the new year weekend. Right. Uh, tell us more about what the couple wrote in their posts on their fan communities. The 29-year-old singer told fans that she is dating someone she had been friends with for, uh, for some time. She described E as a reliable and cute person who has always cheered for her. She added that E's sincere encouragement had given her strength. And the 33-year-old Lee, meanwhile, said on his, on his fan community that he and IU, whose real name is Lee Jin, first met when he was in his mid-20s and were friends for a long time before they started dating. He said Yi makes him want to become a better person. And how did the rumour about them dating surface? It emerged last Saturday, a day after Yi indirectly mentioned the singer in his speech after he received an award for his performance on the TV series Big Mouth. In his acceptance speech, Yi said a special someone had helped him with what kind of directions he should set and to have positive thinking after he completed his mandatory military service. He then said he would like to thank that someone for being so great, adding that he deeply respects the person and had liked them for a long time. Many had guessed who E was referring to, and that person was found to be IU the next day. Yes, so they are the celebrity power couple in Korea now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll wrap it up there for today's uh, Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. I'll see you tomorrow. It's time now to get the latest sporting updates from Korea. It is our weekly segment, Monday Sports Roundup. And for that, our contributor, sports journalist Yu Ji-ho from the Yanat News Agency joins us on the line. 
Gio, hello and a happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to you too. Yes, the new year of 2023 is upon us and there will be plenty of international sports competitions for South Korea to take part in this year as well. And the first major one will be the World Baseball Classic. And that's where we're going to start today. Uh, That's coming up in March. Korea is set to announce its provisional roster of 35 players this week for the event. Uh, The first since 2017, actually, after the uh, 2021 edition was postponed due to the pandemic. So, Jiho, what lies ahead until March? Yeah, so South Korea right now has the the federation interest list of 50 players, uh, which was uh, announced in November. And it's going to be whittled down to possibly 35 for the provisional roster on Wednesday. Or they could actually go ahead and announce the 30-man final roster Wednesday. Um, so 35 or 30 players, either one, either one of those two groups, those players must come from the initial 50-man interest list. Uh, the deadline for the final roster to be submitted will be February 7th. And the tournament starts on 8th of March. Uh, Korea will be up against Japan, Australia, China, and the Czech Republic in Pool B. Uh, the top two teams from this this group will advance to the quarterfinals uh, to take on the top two teams from Pool A. And those games, all those you know early group games and the quarterfinal games for Korea, if Korea does get there, uh, will be played at Tokyo Dome in Japan. And uh, further on, semifinals in the final will be at the Lone Depot Park in Miami. That's the home of the uh, Major League Ball Club, Miami Marlins. Uh, we've got uh, some obvious candidates, I think, from the 50-man list. The reigning KBO MVP, Lee Jong-hoo, uh, his former KBO teammate and current San Diego Padres infielder, Kim, uh, Kim Ha-sung, and uh, you know, also half-Korean star from the majors, uh, Tommy Edmund from the San Luis Cardinals. Mm. So, uh, you know, if players of Korean descent, even if they were not born in Korea, they're still allowed to play in WBC for the country of one of their parents. So Tommy Edmund was born to a Korean mother and an American father, uh, but uh, you know his mom was from Korea, so he's actually allowed to play for Korea if he chooses to. And it looks like, it looks like he's going to commit to the national team here for the first time. Hmm. And also, one kind of question mark is Choi Ji-man for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. He's recovering from recent elbow surgery. Uh, he may or may not be ready for the WBC, still recovering. Uh, and, you know, he's the first baseman, and potentially that's a big hole uh, for the national team because one other candidate, uh, Park Byung-ho, is also nursing an injury. He's coming off an ankle uh, injury from late in the season. So uh, manager Lee Gang-chol has a lot on his plate. Uh, he has already said he's going to take 14 pitchers. Uh, they're going to have some pitch counter limits, and starters can come in relief. And eat up some middle innings, I think they can be really useful in this tournament. Yes, uh, talking about pitchers and players from the majors, another name missing, of course, is the Toronto Blue Jays starter, Nguyen Jin, who is uh, still recovering from the elbow reconstructive surgery he had in June last year. Ji-ho, can you tell us uh, what's the latest on his situation? Yeah, so uh, he's recently come back to the U.S. to continue his rehab from the elbow surgery, otherwise known as Tommy John surgery. Uh, The typical timeline for pitchers coming off Tommy John is about a year. And uh, Ryu said before he left for the U.S. last week, his goal is to come back in July. And I think that might be a little optimistic, to be honest. Uh, this was his second elbow surgery. Uh, he's, what, turning 36, I think, next year. Uh, but, 
Yeah, he's going to push for July return right after the All-Star break, maybe pitch in the second half, and he becomes a free agent after this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. So it's an important campaign for him to try to uh, prove his value as a, a viable major league pitcher, even in his mid-30s. So it's important for him to come back and pitch in enough games to prove that he can still pitch in the majors. Yes, unfortunately, his uh, time in Toronto has uh, not been quite what people might have hoped. But hopefully he makes a good recovery and we'll see him back on the mound in the second half of the year. Let's turn to some football news now. In football, one of the brightest rising stars in the K-League, Oh Hyun-gyu of the Suwon Samsung Blue Wings, has been offered a deal from the Scottish club Celtic. That sounds like great news, another Korean talent going to play in Europe, but Jiho, I understand that uh, Suwon wants him to spend at least another season here, right? Yeah, you know, I think they're playing a little bit of hardball with, uh, with Celtic, maybe demanding a little more in the, uh, in the transfer fee. So Suwon confirmed rumours that, or, or reports that Celtic have indeed made an offer for the 21-year-old Oh Hyun-gyu, uh, offer is said to be about 2 million euros. Uh, you know, he let this team, uh, Suwon, with the career high 13 goals last year, basically saved him from suffering a relegation to the K-League 2 for, for this upcoming season. And, of course, he traveled with the national team to Qatar for the World Cup. He was an emer- emergency backup. Uh, he earned his praise for some really strong work ethic in training sessions and really being a great teammate mm. on and off the field because he was a guy who was kind of an extra man, odd man out, didn't even have a number on his, on his shirt on the national team. But he was there just in case somebody got hurt and he, was able to, he would have been able to kind of step in for whoever got hurt. But fortunately, I guess uh, it didn't happen for the national team. And unfortunately for himself, he didn't get to play. But he, he came back, said it was a great experience to, just, to, just to be around the national team guys. And hopefully he's going to be able to use the lessons to, uh, to, to good use this upcoming season. But, you know, as far as offer from Celtic, Suwon said, you know, they've told the player that they like him to, they like him to stay put for another year. They're going to need him for 2023. And they say the player understands where the team is coming from. So he's expected to report for the start of their training camp, actually, on Tuesday. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, I still think that they're playing a little bit of a hardball, uh, maybe demanding a little more transfer fee. Sure. And, you know, it could, it could work in the favor of the player, too. If he has a good season this year, uh, maybe he's gonna, his value is going to maybe rise a little more uh, at the end of this season. Well, it's always quite a dilemma for a young player when Europe comes calling. Uh do you move but potentially risk failure because you're not ready for that transition yet? Or do mm-hmm. you wait another year and risk a below-par season and then potentially uh, lose that uh, move to Europe? Uh, Jiho, uh, what do you think he will do? Is he ready for the move as well, do you think? I think he's ready, but you know what? The way this whole thing is set up right now, I think the the team has put him in an impossible situation. They've already mm-hmm. gone public with this saying that, oh, we want this guy around and we've already told him we want him for another year. And, you know, he he himself hasn't said anything about this. Uh, the team basically saying, oh, he understands where you're coming from. So they just put him in an impossible situation. So he, he not right now, uh, he's going to look bad if he comes out and says, you know what, I want to go, but the team's not letting me go. Mm. So, uh, sure. yeah, it's just a very difficult situation for him. But I, I do think, the, you know, when... When opportunity comes, I think players should just pounce on it. Uh, you know, provided the team gives them, gives them the, the sort of the green light. But 
Suwon, you know, they just barely avoided relegation this past year. I understand why they would need him, but uh, if they really, you know, care about this player's own future, I think they would let him go. Yes, uh, we'll see how that situation pans out. Uh, finally, ending with women's volleyball, the first placed uh, Hyundai ENC snapped their first losing streak of the season on New Year's Day. After winning the first 15 matches of the season, they had dropped two straight. Uh, but uh, they're back in the win column thanks to some strong efforts by their oldest player. So, Jiho, a bit of a wobble from the leaders, but they're back on track, it seems. Yeah, and their oldest player would be the veteran opposite hitter, Hwang Yeonju, a former MVP, scoring a match-high 17 points as Hyundai defeated IBK 3-0, uh, 25-17, 25-18, and 25-23. And Hwang is, like I said, he's the, she's the most senior player for this team at 36 years old. You know, she's not been, getting, not been getting a lot of opportunities to play this year, but she has stepped in big time following injury to the starting opposite hitter, Yasmin Bedargani. Uh, Hwang Yeonju has started four straight matches for the first time since 2018-2019 season. Uh, you know, in the first set, they blew a 5-3 lead, find themselves down to down 11-5, and then turn the tables to take a 17-12 lead with setter Kim Dae-in creating chances left and right. And Hwang Yeonju and outside hitter Ko Ye-rim took over for an easy second set victory, and then they rallied from a 16-13 deficit in the third set scoring six unanswered points in one point with, um, with some great defensive work. So Hwang Yeonju kind of you know, turning back the clock a little bit. Uh, she's been around for many, many years now. She's finally getting one, possibly one last opportunity to play some extensive minutes. Yes, her last dance, possibly, it seems. OK, that's all for our roundup uh, for, this, for the first of this year. Jiho, thank you for the updates as always. And we'll talk to you again next week. OK, thanks for having me today. This is Matt Dalton, goalie for Anyang Hala. You're now listening to Korea 24. It's time for us to close out the show now with Morning Edition Preview, our daily segment where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, we're joined in the studio by our staff editor, Richard Larkin, Richard, hello. It is good to see you. Hello. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. For the first time in 2023, it is good to see you again. Let's uh, start with the first article. What do you have for us? According to Choi Jae-hee's article in the national section of the Korea Herald, there have been multiple otter sightings along the Han River in Seoul since 2017. Local authorities have now confirmed that there are, in fact, 15 Eurasian otters living in the river. Yes, I believe this is a big find mm-hmm. as otters have rarely been seen in the capital area for quite a while uh, due to the city's uh, rapid economic development, right? Decades even. One reason given by officials is that a dam was completed in the Upper Han River in 1974. Sightings have declined since then. Let me give our listeners a little bit of information about the mammals. Eurasian otters are carnivores that feed mainly on fish, shellfish and even ducks. That was wow. the first time I heard about that. They live in a wide variety of habitats, including lakes, rivers and streams. Eurasian otters are actually classed as endangered wildlife species in Korea and were also designated as National Monument Number no. 330 by the South Korean government in 1982. 
Yes. So you mentioned that there were multiple sightings, yes. though. Uh, but how were local authorities able to confirm that there are 15 living in the river? Well, the otters were found by analysing footage from surveillance cameras that are installed along the river. The mammals are most active at night, and they were spotted around Tanchun Stream, Junglang Stream, and Yoido Sekang Ecological Park. A city official has said that the discovery of these otters also shows that the Han River's biodiversity is improving. So who knows, maybe over time more species of wildlife could be found. Indeed, it's an encouraging sign, uh, it seems, anyway. OK, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Next, the world's most influential tech event, CES, will return later this week in Las Vegas, Nevada. Park Chae-hyuk's article in the tech section of the Korea Times explains that Korea will account for the second highest number of participating companies. Yes, so the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, uh, does the uh, article say how many Korean companies are going exactly? Around 550. Only the United States will have more companies at the event. For our listeners who may not know, more than 3,000 companies from over 170 countries will showcase new cutting-edge technology over four days. This year, the event will take place from Thursday to Sunday. The article mentions that there will be a total of 100,000 visitors this year, that's 40% higher than last year. Yes, especially after uh, recovering from COVID-19. More and more uh, visitors will be returning, I'm sure. Uh, what type of technology will be shown at this year's event, do we know? Well, when I took a look at what will be shown, I felt like I was reading a sci-fi novel. <laughs> Companies will show off a wide variety of technologies, such as cameras for self-driving cars, metaverse platforms, electric vehicle batteries and OLED TVs. What is also good to see is that there will be companies presenting how they will be eco-friendly. 40 eco-friendly products and technologies will be on display, including items that help energy production using waste and technology that will change oil refining as part of an ocean transformation vision. Yes, it'll be interesting to see what's on display this year as well and see where the technology is heading uh, in our future. We'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we will see you again next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap it up for today as well. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So do join us again then to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. Let's go.